Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for that wonderful name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I love that verse where he says he will be exalted throughout the earth. Amen. It's good to see everyone here on a cold evening. Um, it's warm in here. Thank the Lord for central heating. If you will, let's go ahead. We'll go right into the Word of God. Let's turn to Psalm 107, verses 23 through 30. bear with me, I guess. I've been up pretty much since 2.30 in the morning, and um, I sort of had to debate, do I have some coffee before I come and then become the first preacher in the history of Bethlehem Church that has to interrupt his sermon to run to the restroom, or do I just not take any caffeine? I'm sorry. Sorry, Brother Boskus. <laughs> or do I not take any stimulants and be the first preacher in the history of Bethlehem Church that falls asleep up here while preaching. So I have to wait, which is going to be more embarrassing? Anyways, if you're not there, it's on the back wall. I give honor to Brother Vasquez and to his wife, uh, to uh, Bishop Wilson and his wife, to all the ministry here, to the people of God. Um, I love you all. You're precious to me. And of course, I give honor to Jesus. He's the reason why we're here. We wouldn't be here without him. Psalm 107, verse 23, starting verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to heaven, they go down again to the depths. There's some highs and lows there. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Everyone say, desired haven. If you'll set your Bibles aside, let's pray. Mighty God, we give you thanks again, Lord, for your goodness, your mercy, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your word, God. We know it's not going to return void. I ask that your word have free course tonight and be glorified. Minister to us, Lord, with a ministering spirit. Help me, O oh God. Help me to recall what you want me to speak, God. Let your words be my words, Lord, and bless your people. And above all, be, have the preeminence in this service. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, amen. I love Psalm 107. It's it's a it's a it's kind of a neat neat verse uh, or set of verses. And let me kind of tell you. Let me give you a background on this. When I was when we were making the transition from moving from West Pontotoc to Bethlehem, the Lord gave me a message. This would have been July of last year, and uh, I believe it was a message for this church. And um, you know, I, I I I was asked to speak once. I didn't feel led to preach this at, the, at that back then, but tonight, I, this, this week, I felt the Lord impressing me to deliver this message. Now, you've kind of heard a fragment of this message earlier from Brother Bateman when he preached here several months ago, and Brother uh, Vasquez preached something off of this as well, but I believe the Lord has showed me something in, in these and other verses we're going to get into that hopefully will bring a unique perspective, not a not a it'll be a biblical perspective amen but the, the 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 verse starts off they that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters you have to understand something the word business the root word means to be a messenger or an ambassador sent by god in other words the verse the god is that the psalmist is not talking about people that just go on a ship to do business now you know back then they did not have cruise cruise liners they didn't have 
um, the Carnival Cruise Line, if you went to sea in a ship, it was, it was for a specific purpose, for warfare or for trade uh, or, or, or whatever. But the verse here is talking about ministry. About, uh, ministry. And we know that whenever the Word of God talks about water, water represents something transformational in our lives. You under, have to understand that there's the Word of God, first of all, proceeds from a spiritual realm. And we have you know, natural phenomena, water, river, and so on. But those things that we see with our eyes speak to spiritual processes and truths that God has revealed. They come out of the spiritual realm. If you believe that, say amen. If you don't believe it, say amen anyways. But I believe that to be true, praise God. And so the, the, these verses talk about st storms that seem to be brought about by God. Now, I, I hate to admit it, but I'm kind of a YouTube junkie. And there are so many rabbit holes you can go down YouTube. There's a channel for everything. And one, one day, this was a while ago, a, a channel came up on my, I guess you call it a YouTube feed. And it was basically a compilation of actual film of ships that were in stormy waters. Now you have to understand, the kind of ship that the, the, the psalmist is talking about would probably be no bigger than this platform up here. They just were not big and they were, they were made out of wood. But these, these, these YouTube videos were showing super freighters, massive steel ships, long, as, as long as this campus, going up and down and up and down. And it was, it was amazing. And then the people on these ships, the verse talks about, they rule to and fro and stagger, uh, and their soul is melted because of trouble. Amen. And they cry unto God in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. Amen. But there were three specific, really, there were, there were, there, there were three people that went to sea in a ship. And they saw great things of God. One was Paul. He's, you know, on his way to Rome as a prisoner, a slave, uh, 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 not a slave, but a servant of Jesus, such a servant that he's in chains. And uh, at the beginning of the voyage, he, uh, at one point at the beginning of the voyage, he says, Sirs, I perceive that this, this journey is going to be with much uh, loss. Don't do this. Don't leave port yet. They didn't listen to him. At the end of that voyage, he became the authority on that ship as they crash onto the island of Melita. Another example is, is uh, of, of a ship in a storm is uh, in one of the Gospels. I don't recall exactly where. Uh, when, when Peter sets foot, steps, uh, gets himself invited out of, the, uh, uh, out of the ship to walk on the water and becomes the first pure human being to walk on water. But then he saw that the wind was boisterous and fear rose up in him and he started to sink and Jesus uh, stretched out his arms and carried him back into the boat. It's interesting to me that what brought fear to Peter that seeing that boisterous wind, well, you don't even see a wind. You see the effects of the wind. Wind is invisible. You see the trees blowing here and there or whatever. But it's interesting to me that the boisterous wind, a boisterous wind which, which, which decimated destroyed Peter's faith, a few months later, there would be a, he would be the recipient of a rushing mighty wind that would fill a household, him and 119 in an upper room, and they would receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. But the third person I want to talk about, and I should have checked the time here. Hold on. Y'all say praise the Lord. I'm just All right. I don't know if my watch is fast or slow, but I know it's a Wednesday night, and I know we want to get home. Amen. But I believe the God's got a word for us. But the third person I want to talk about is, is Jonah. Amen. And, and, and we know the story of Jonah fairly well. Um, you know, God gave him a commission to uh, deliver a, a word of warning to the Ninevites. We read about that in the first chapter. And uh, uh, God, God tells, God tells uh, Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. 
And so you would think Jonah, as a dutiful, obedient man of God, would, hearing the voice of God, would do what he's supposed to do. Instead, rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. In other words, he was going to go, I think so, I've heard someone say, to go to Tarshish would have, been, would have had to travel twice as far in a westerly direction than to go east to Nineveh. Uh, so he pays some money, and, and, and he's, 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 he's on his way to Tarshish. But then God sends a storm, and we know that as a result of that storm, uh, you know, that the people on the ship are afraid. Jonah, for some reason, is sleeping. He's unconcerned. But do you realize that there are at least three revivals that occur in the book of Jonah that Jonah is involved in? Somehow he's the, he's, he's the, he's the instrument. The first, the first revival occurs on the ship. They don't want to, but they realize they have to throw him off. He says, that's what you're going to have to do. Um, uh, but you read in verse 16, and I didn't give these verses to Brother Jonathan. I know this is, this is, I'm all over the place. This is rough. Again, just bear with me. Then the men feared the Lord accordingly and exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Before that, we read, Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. They're calling out to the Lord. Do you realize this may have been the first time in their lives, people from different backgrounds, different nationalities, different religious beliefs, they are calling out to the God of the universe, Jonah's God, our God. We know his name. What's his name? Amen. All right. So dropping down to verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. And this is after they, they throw, throw him off. You know, when you think about it, Jonah was so dead set not to obey God that rather than say, look, you got to turn this ship around and take me back to Nineveh, or take me back to a place where I can get to Nineveh. He says, hey, I'm still not going to go to Nineveh, but I'll be, I'm willing to sacrifice myself so your lives will be saved. So they throw him out of the ship. And we know that, uh, we read then that the Lord had prepared a, 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 a great fish. Jesus refers to it as a whale when he talks about Jonah. And he was in the, and he swallowed up uh, Jonah, and he's in the belly of the fish, whale, for three days. Now, I want you to catch this. The word for belly comes from a Hebrew word that has a dual meaning. It means stomach, but it also means womb. And what I believe happened is that there were two things ha were happening to Jonah in that in that fish's belly he's undergoing the stripping and the burning away of things because what happens when something enters into someone's stomach you've got enzymes and acids and and they strip things down and and, and they wear things down so that things can be so that the nutrients of the food can be absorbed into the body but what happens in a womb a womb is where life is, is born. Life, there, there's, there's, a seed goes into gestation, and then life emerges from the womb. There is birth. So Jonah enters into, the, enters into a stomach, but he emerges from a womb. Can someone say amen? I believe that to be the case because the word that Jesus uses when he talks about, you know, the Pharisees are saying, show us a sign. He says, y'all want a sign. I'm going to show you a sign. It's going to be Jonah. Uh, he was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. The word belly, the Greek word, I think it's ko koalia, also has a dual meaning. It means stomach where things are broken down and digested, but it also means womb. So Jonah apparently emerges from, this, from, from the womb as, 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 a, as a new person, a new man. But does he really? We know he does at least obey God to the extent that he does go to Nineveh and, 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 he, and, he, and he preaches that. He says, what, he had 40 days and this city shall be overthrown. And to understand Jonah's reluctance in going to Nineveh, you have to have an understanding of what Nineveh was. It was a, one of the greatest cities 
at that in, in that region at that in, in that time it was one of it was a powerful city uh, it was a well-organized city it had art but the Ninevites were mean brother David they were the meanest folks that there were they were cruel they had perfected the art of warfare they had perfected the art of torture. Uh, they did unspeakable things to their enemies. I, you can't say it from the pulpit, but you go to museums where they have, uh, where they've taken walls from Nineveh. They they actually were so proud of their wickedness, they would carve the, the various tortures and, and so on on these walls. And Jonah, and they were an enemy of Israel. So Jonah is aware of all this. And he does not want to preach to them. Amen. But he does. He, he, so he obeys God. And uh, we know that a tremendous revival breaks out, starting with the king. And, and they, they, they receive the word. As astonishing as that may seem, they receive this word from Jonah, a, a, a prophet from a country that is an, an enemy of theirs. And... Um, the king caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. And then the king of Nineveh says this, Who can tell if God will turn and repent? and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. And God saw their works and that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. This was a national revival. This was a revival. The entire nation repented. And you would think that the man of God would be happy but we read in chapter 4, verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God. Aren't you thankful tonight that he's a gracious God? He's a merciful God. Jonah's speaking truth, and merciful, and slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You know, as a preacher, if I had that kind of revival, I would be thrilled. There's not a, there's not a man of God alive that would not be thrilled to have that kind of a revival, to be involved in that kind of revival, to be used in that kind of revival. But Jonah is saying, this is what I was worried about. You know, he was not reluctant to go to Nineveh because he was afraid that they would impale him or do whatever they did to their enemies. The reason Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh is he didn't want to see them saved. That's it in a nutshell. Someone say amen. He did not think they were worthy of salvation. They were too evil. They were too wicked. They had violated his, his, the women of his, of his nation. They had tortured the children, beheaded the kids. You know, the Nineveh, really, there was a spirit there. They were the ISIS of their day. We're hearing all this stuff about Hamas and Islam, Islamic Jihad. It's the same spirit. They were doing back then. The, they were committing the same atrocities that we're reading about now occurring in the Middle East. It's the same mindset. I believe it's the same spirit, Brother Marshall. It's the exact same spirit. And Jonah did not believe that this message, a message of repentance, of God's mercy, of God's kindness extended to people as awful as that. So what does he do? He goes out of the city, he sat on the east side of the city and made him a booth and sat, in it, sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. The problem with Jonah, he was aware of what these folks had done. 
He had a, he had a seed of unforgiveness. He, his family may have suffered at the hands of the Ninevites, but he had a seed of unforgiveness in his heart, and that gave root to bitterness. And that shelter that he prepared symbolically, that was his bitterness. A lot of folks, at folks in church, maybe people in here, we find comfort in bitterness. We run and we hide in bitterness. We sit in a, in a shelter of bitterness to see if God will, in fact, wipe them out. Jonah did not want to see them saved. He wanted to see them wiped out. Amen. But we see that God gets the last word. God said, uh, and God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gird? That's God had caused a plant to uh, raise up and to, to, uh, to be shade. And then he sent a worm to, to, to take out, the, to, to eat, eat and destroy the gird. Then the Lord said, Thou hast had pity on the gird for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow which came up in a night and perished in a night. I want you to catch this, verse 11. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than 120,000 persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? What God is telling Nineveh, and this is a cryptic verse, but this is, this is the key to understanding the book of Jonah and the dilemma of Jonah. Jonah, there are people in that city. What does it mean, left hand, right hand? They lacked judgment. They didn't know what they were doing. Sure, they did unspeakable things. Sure, they did horrific things. Sure, they did insane things, crazy things. But they did it ignorantly. They really didn't know what they were doing. That seems incomprehensible, but Paul said the same thing. He said, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor. Verse 13, catch this. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. Paul is, tell, is reminding us that before he was saved, he actively tried to put the tried to destroy the church but he says I did it ignorantly in unbelief Jesus hanging from a cross says in Luke father forgive them why who can finish the phrase for me why forgive these people why forgive these people that have nailed me to a cross that have that have spit on me, that have tore up my back, that's thrust a crown of thorns on my head, that have mocked me, that have rejected me, that have taken my clothes and they're, they're separating them, they're casting lots. Why forgive them, Father? Why, why, why? They don't know what they're doing. There have been people that have done things to us in our lives. This is where I'm kind of I'm circling the airport right now, as they say. I'm not coming in for a landing yet, but I'm circling the airport. There are people that have hurt us tremendously. Um, I'm one of them. I've, I've also hurt people. There are people there. I, 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 know, I don't listen to gossip. I don't know personal lives or personal histories here. But I do have a I believe that there are people here when they were younger, underwent horrific things. They were abused in all manners of, all, all sorts of ways by people that they trusted, authority figures, and y'all are having a hard time still dealing with it. There's still, you, you, you have built a shelter of bitterness. Y'all are blessed tonight that I'm preaching this and talking about bitterness because I'm an expert in bitterness. I've got expertise in bitterness, not because I read about it in a book or took a college course or heard a good sermon or two. It's because I've had to deal with it, and I still have to deal with it. And it's a deadly thing. You can still bear the fruit of the Spirit, but a root of bitterness will, but still have a root of bitterness. And we seek shelter 
and solace in a root of bitterness. We make it a shelter because that bitterness becomes much more comfortable. It becomes a comfort zone, our safe space. And that's what happened to Jonah. So God had to tell him, these people may not have value or worth in your eyes because of who they represent, a different race, different ethnicity, different nationality, different religion, different mindset. They were mean. They were the meanest people in that, in, in that era, but they have worth in my eyes. And then he says, he says, not only did they not know what they were doing, and there's 120,000 of them, and also much cattle. And that's intriguing because he's not talking about, God's not in, in, into agriculture. He's not talking about the, the, their, their, their agricultural means because cattle in God's word represents worship. It represents our capacity and our resources for worship. Remember when Moses uh, confronts Pharaoh and says, uh, you know, God has sent me here. Let my people go. Pharaoh would have a change of heart, and he'd say, okay, you can go into the wilderness for you on your three-day journey and worship your God. But he would set terms and conditions on that. He said, you can go, but you leave your children here. Moses said, no, we're taking our kids with you because the children represent the future of the church. So you're not going to leave the children behind. And in between plagues, uh, Pharaoh says, again, relents and says, okay, you can, you, you can go, but you leave your cattle here. Moses said, no, we need to take our cattle to worship our God. And we're not, we don't know what we're going to find out there. What did the children of Israel do? What was their first sin in the wilderness when Moses went up on Mount Sinai? They made them calves, golden calves, to worship. Hosea chapter 14, verse 2 says, Take with you words and to turn to the Lord. Say unto him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. He's not talking about calves like in the legs. He's talking about worship. So whenever you come across calves or, or cattle, in God's word, there's a spiritual meaning, and it means worship, capacity of worship. So what God is telling Jonah is, not only did these folks not know, really know what they were doing. Hey, let's be honest. When you and I were out in the world doing what we did, we really didn't know what we were doing. We, y'all are not, y'all are quiet, but that's fine. We really did not know what we were doing. Amen. I'm just so thankful that God is a merciful God. But God reminds Jonah, not only do these people have worth, but when they repent, they are going to be worshiping me and praising me with at least as much passion as you. Amen. And ultimately, God, they're bringing glory to God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'll forgive them if they repent. And where they used to worship idols and gods of war, they will now worship me. The people you said couldn't and shouldn't be saved will worship me as passionately as you because God says, I'll be glorified throughout all the earth. Amen. Let me tell this story. I, I may have told it here once before. I, I don't know if Brother, Brother Tucker is here or not. He would appreciate it. But early in, in my law career, um, we had a case, uh, a lady had come in, and she had the most incredible story, and I decided to represent her, but her story, what happened was she had gone into a hospital, I'm not gonna name names, I couldn't name her name, and I couldn't remember her name, but uh, she went into a hospital, a fairly large hospital for a procedure, and she, they put her under a general anesthesia, and she somehow, awoke out of that to discover that she's naked on, on the operating bed or whatever. She turns and she sees the doctor, but then she sees a little boy standing in there. And so she starts freaking out, shrieking, who's that? What's he doing here? Get him out. Now, this is a true story. And so um, 
they summon a nurse rushes and injects her with something and she's knocked out. So she comes to, when she, when she eventually comes to after the procedure is done, she still remembers what she saw. So she raises bloody murder. The hospital, of course, denies it. They say, well, you're, you know, that, that was, uh, you're, you're unmedicated or whatever. So she comes to us and I believed her. You know, it was one of those things that, um, you know, you couldn't make this stuff up as Rush Limbaugh said. <laughs> and I'd never heard anything like that before. And she was tore up. She was so outraged. So anyways, I fire off a letter to the hospital naming the doctor, who may still be there, that's why I'm not going to give names. And, um, uh, you know, just letting them know we've got a claim, asking what happened, and so on, because she's got some, in legal terms, she's got some causes of action, because a little boy is not supposed to be in there. Okay, and you're not supposed to be administered a medication if you haven't given consent for it. So anyways, a short while later, I receive a letter from a lawyer. And it's a lawyer that I'd been, I was friends with, I'd gone to law school with, we had studied together. And, and this is early, early in my legal career. And it was the ugliest letter I had ever received. And I've been doing, I've been practicing law for over 31 years. It's still the nastiest letter I've ever received. And he threatened me with reporting me, he said, I'm gonna report you to the bar, I'm gonna have you disbarred, blah, 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 you have slandered my clients, whatever. And you have to understand, I'm, I'm, I'm new at this, I'm this up to just one or two years in, into practicing law, I'm not, I'm kind of insecure, I've, I've, I'm a Yankee, and, and everyone else is, you know, I, I don't talk and sound like everyone else, all the other lawyers I'm dealing with, I've got this weird last name, to this day, I think we are still the only Hakeem family in North Mississippi. If you know of any other Hakeems, let me know. I was working for a firm. I somehow landed the gig. I mean, this was a, this was a, uh, the, the lawyer was one of the most renowned lawyers in the state of Mississippi. The firm had been started by uh, Governor Cliff Finch, and the lawyer I was working for was had been Governor Finch's chief of staff. So I had all this on my shoulders, this burden, plus I had a young family, and uh, Hannah had been born, and, uh, and then to top it all off, I was apostolic. And back then, I think there were only two other apostolic lawyers in the entire state of Mississippi that I knew about. So all this stuff is going through my mind. If, I'm if, I've, if I've missed this, if I'm disbarred, man, there's a lot of shame there. There's a lot of shame to the name, because you've got a name to uphold. Brother Sam, you know what it's like to, to have a name that has to be upheld. I had, that I had to, up you know, it was a name I had to uphold. Couldn't let God down. Can't be the first apostolic lawyer to be disbarred in, in the state of Mississippi. If I'm disbarred, how do I feed my family? Because all I know is law, the practice of law. What do I do? So anyways, in, 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 in this time frame, and I'm going to try to bring this to a quick close. In this time frame, I had sent a letter. I, I had requested a state medical agency to investigate what happened at the hospital, to investigate this incident. So they investigate it, and they come back. And they say, nah, there, no, nothing happened. You know, there was, none of this occurred. But I had also contacted a federal agency, Brother John, and to this day, I can't remember what federal agency it was, but it was an agency that would have had oversight over the operations of the hospital. I can't remember who I contacted, but they went in there and they did a thorough investigation, and then they sent me the report, and this is what the report said. That doctor was dating a nurse and that nurse had to be on call. So the doctor was babysitting her son that day, brought her into that radiology suite, thinking, well, I'll babysit him, plus this might be educational for him. So the boy was there. And then the report further went on to state that when she came to, they administered to her some type of fast-acting narcotic to immediately knock her out. They did that without her consent. 
so I was vindicated. So that lawyer that threatened my career, my law license, either was lying to me or had been lied to by his client. You know, I, you know, I didn't gloat over. I didn't, you know, I, I believe I believe my client. I don't believe him all the time, but I believe this lady. And so, anyways, fast forward many years later, I never had any more encounters with that that particular lawyer. I'm not going to name his name, but years later, he became the center of the worst the most notorious legal scandal in the state of Mississippi. He was nailed bribing, trying to bribe a judge. So he's the one who lost his license and he actually ended up in federal prison. I'm here to tell someone tonight that the wheels of God's justice, they grind slowly but they grind surely, and they grind into a fine dust. But the danger for you and me is we can't take satisfaction at that. I, do, I could not, and I have not gloated over that. I, I, I'm aware of the irony, and I'm aware of what, how God has looked out for me, but I cannot afford to take, to, 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 to enjoy that. In fact, I pray for that guy. I, mean, he's got, I think he's got something on YouTube where he's, he's repented. I think he's, he, he's, he's, he's found God, so to speak. You know, uh, he's not in the full truth, but he's, he's had to do something because he can't practice law anymore. Folks that have hurt you, there will be a comeuppance, but we have got to be, we have to have the mercy and the grace of Jesus. Let's all stand. You know, when I get up here, I lose all sense of time. I don't know, I worry if I'm, am I too short? Am I too long? If I'm too long, I'm sorry. If I'm too short, I was trained by, by, by my former pastor and, another, and, and an elder to be short, not to wear everyone out, praise God. But I feel, I, I've tried to get out of this. I, I know I'm, I'm messing this thing up tonight, I'm botching it. And I, and, and I feel Lord, the Lord is impressing me to have an altar call. I said, well, I don't wanna do it, it's a Wednesday night. We wanna get home, we're tired, we work. But let's lift our hands right now. Let's lift our hands right now. Life is very raw. And terrible things happen to good people. But in a moment, I'm going to invite everyone in here to come up to the altar. I want you to bring someone with you, but not the person standing next to you or the person standing behind you. This may sound goofy or unusual, but I want you to get a mental picture right now of the person that did the worst thing to you that you've ever had done to you in your life. They may be in church now, they may not be. But if they're still alive, I want you in your mind's eye to take them by the hand and bring them up here with you. Can we do that? Let's all come. I'm not trying to reopen wounds. I know we try to bury stuff. But maybe on this Wednesday night, God wants someone to once and for all unload it, get rid of it, let it go, have some peace, stop hiding in a shelter of bitterness. Let's lift our hands right now. Let's just talk to the Lord. God, Jesus, help me to let it go, Lord. 
you saw what they did to me, God. Lord, if I have not fully forgiven them, Lord, help me, God, forgive them. Because unless I forgive them, I can't be fully forgiven by you, God. Mighty God, we give you thanks and praise, God. We worship you, Jesus. We love you, God. Just keep on talking to him. Some of you have overcome this. Some of you have already done this. Maybe you can step into the gap and be an interceder and help. Help someone here who's trying to get rid of this baggage. It is baggage. We're encumbered with it. You know the thing about baggage? Baggage has a name tag on it. It has your name on it. When Pam and I went to Beirut last year, we took separate pieces of luggage. My case had my name on it. Her case had her name on it. I've still got baggage. It's got my name on it. If you've got some baggage, spiritual baggage, it's got your name on it. God says, give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. Just keep on talking to him. I think I've been short. Let's just keep on talking to him. Lord, we worship you, God. We praise your holy name, Lord. Help us, God, not to be a Jonah, Lord. Used of you, God, but hating it, God. Used of you, God, but not wanting them to be saved, God. I want you to imagine that person that has hurt you up here praising and worshiping God right now. Praising and worshiping God. That's where God is going to get glory. When your enemy, that person you, you cannot forgive, is up here praising and worshiping God with you. That's where God is going to get the maximum glory. Amen. Hallelujah. We worship you, God. Yes, Jesus. Continue to talk to him. I don't feel a release yet. to bear your fruit, God, without any contamination or overshadowing, Lord, of things that have hurt us, God. Oh, Lord, we ask you this in your holy name, Jesus. We praise your holy name, God. 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 Can I have just a couple of more minutes? I'm, I'm finishing up here. Joseph had to deal with some stuff that we may not ever have to deal with. He had three major, you know, God's word says offenses will come. There's always going to be someone or something that's going to cause offense to us. And we ourselves may cause offense to someone. But three types of offenses came to Joseph and he had to deal with them. First was a spirit of jealousy. That was his brother's. That's people in the church. People can be resentful or jealous of your spiritual promotion or the gifts and callings in your life, even though in due season they'll be promoted and God has given them unique giftings and talents. Amen. So he had to deal with the spirit of jealousy within his family. We have to deal with things within our church family. It's the way it is. Thank the Lord, this is a great church. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's reality. And then he goes to work for Potiphar. Then he has to deal with Potiphar's wife, who's not trying to be crass, but she's chasing him around the house with lust. And that's a spirit of seduction. We have to deal, all of us daily, those of us who have the truth have to deal daily a spirit of spiritual seduction, heresies, and, and, and so on. And he didn't give in, but he lost his garment. The thing, the danger, of the, the, the dangerous thing about a spirit of seduction is if you don't give in to it, if he still gets a part of you, it uses that against you. Remember, she got a hold of his garment and said, 
and use that as a point of accusation. That's why God has given us, he's clothed us with his righteousness. We gotta have that held tight. He's given us a girdle, a belt of truth. We've gotta keep that tight. We can't let that spirit of seduction take that from us, amen. Then the third thing he had to deal with was a spirit of ingratitude. Remember he's in, in prison and he, he, he interprets the butler's dream and says, you're gonna get out of here. You're gonna be a free man. That butler was at the lowest point in his life, not sure if he was going to face execution. Gets a good word, a supernatural word from the man of God and forgets about him. So Joseph is left in prison. He's abandoned. That's a spirit of ingratitude. A spirit of ingratitude forgets the good that someone has done to them. If we forget what God has done for us, that's ingratitude. But never once do we ever read Joseph complaining or carping. Never once do we see any hint of unforgiveness or bitterness in his heart. He didn't have the Holy Ghost. I wonder how he did it. Not once. And he didn't even understand what he went through, Brother Ronnie, and why he went through it until Joseph, the dreamer, had to interpret another man's dreams. And then the pieces all came together. And he was able to tell his brothers that had betrayed him through the spirit of jealousy, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Let me kind of bring that down to where we are here. Paul writes, and we know all things work together for good to them that love God and, the, and are the called according to his purpose. We focus on all things, but Paul says, and we know, we know this. We know that what we went through is, going to, is, is, is being worked to our good. We know that the thing we should never have had to have happen to us is working for our good. We didn't know it back then, but we know it now. We act like we don't know it. We pretend we had never knew that, but we know, we know that all things are working together for our good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. How do we know that? I'm standing here, and I'm casting a shadow. You all are standing, and you're casting a shadow here as well. We know that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are the called according to his purpose, because we're here. We're still here. I should not be here. I told Brother David earlier, I can't relay my testimony. <laughs> I, 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 gave a, I gave a highly edited, redacted, sanitized version of my testimony to uh, an elder, uh, a very influential elder, a prophet, a man, a man of God I dearly loved, and he had a look of shock on his face. He said, don't ever tell anyone what you've just told me. So I can't tell. I mean, you all probably wonder, my God, what did he do? Hannah, Hannah, when she heard that, said, Tana, you didn't murder anyone, did you? No, I wanted to, but I didn't. <laughs> I can't share it, but I shouldn't be here. Strung out on psychedelic drugs, trying to make my way out of the inner city of Detroit. I've had strangers hold a gun to my head and pull the trigger, and they're amazed that the bullet will not, that the gun will not fire. I've had a knife pulled out on me. Lay in a hospital bed, so sick. I, I just didn't care anymore if I died. Couldn't even pray for myself. Marshall, I shouldn't be here, but I'm here. I'm not only here, I'm standing behind a pulpit. That's how I know that all things work together. And you all are standing here. You all have a testimony. Some of you all grew up in church, some not. Some you fell away, but you're back. 
That's how we know the things we went through, we may not have understood it at the time, but they all work together for our good. Horrible things, but God has worked it out and he's still working it out. If you believe that, lift your hands one more time. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, God. I know this is not been a running, shouting service. Um, but I would hope that the Word of God has enlightened and shown some light in some areas where we may be nursing wounds, scars in, in battle. We, we, we're involved in spiritual battle. We have shrapnel in us. They can't even remove that, but God can remove the shrapnel. I'm going to end it right here. Let's just one more time. Let's lift our hands. Mighty God, we love you. We thank you, God. I thank you for this wonderful people, God. Lord, go with us this week. Be with us, God. We know Jesus. When you forgive, when you uproot that root of bitterness, you're never more like Jesus. Never more like Jesus than when you forgive. We're never more like Jesus than when we forgive. And that's what it's all about. We talk about, uh, we have another level. We talk about um, uh, higher heights, deeper depths. All, all that really means is we came in looking like ourselves, but we're going to leave tonight looking more like Jesus. Amen. And we don't need to return back to baseline so that when we come back Sunday, we try to get back to where we were tonight. The goal is to come back Sunday looking more like Jesus than we did tonight. God bless you all. Amen.